All right, Thomas. Thomas, I'm out of scotch. I finished my scotch. Hello, everybody. This is Eric Van Johnson, and you're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 90, recorded January 4th, 2018. New year, and I'm back. In this episode, Thomas, John, and I talk about online IDEs, serverless architecture, and uh, kids on the internet. So, uh, let's get started. Gentlemen, I'm back. I'm back from the clutches of not being here. You, you, you guys, you guys kept trying to, to, to have the show without me, and uh, I found you again. Actually, so. I think we, we begged you not yeah. to miss. And we did have two shows without you. We didn't just try. It was I know. totally successful. Well, I mean, maybe that's a little too far, but... We had a sh- we had shows. You guys know I'm a baseball fan. I enjoy baseball very much. One of the most cherished pictures I have is a picture of me and a fantastic baseball legend here in San Diego, Tony Gwynn, sitting in a dugout talking. Um, I love that picture. Tony Gwynn is not the only baseball legend to come out of San Diego. He's often compared to another baseball legend, Ted Williams. Now, Ted Williams didn't play for the Padres. He played his entire year, entire career with the um, uh, Boston Red Sox. Fantastic ball player. Um, he's probably the the biggest record he holds is he's the last uh, major league ball player to hit over four hundred in a complete season. And ironically, Tony Gwynn was the closest player to get to four hundred for an entire season, but actually didn't make it so there's like this i i played baseball at the high school ted williams graduated from i that's ted williams has a big influence here in san diego so did you know well first off in baseball the bases are 90 feet apart from each other and in boston the ted williams tunnel is the deepest in america at approximately 90 feet under the earth. This is episode 90 of PHP Ugly. Is all this a coincidence? I think not. <laughs> that was such I'm a, back! That was such a long-winded way to get there. Oh my god. Those are the best I, ones! I mean, I don't know how we did this without you. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous because, in case you guys aren't keeping track, I just mentioned this is episode 90. We are quickly approaching our 100th episode, which should happen here fairly soon, in approximately 10 to 11 weeks. And once we hit 100, I can no longer reference back to years. I don't know what I'm going to do. I should just probably burn up 91 through 99 using the years, because I'm going to lose that as my fallback here pretty soon. I don't know what I'm going to do after I hit 100. Didn't, like... 88 episodes ago, we said, hey, we should get rid of this type of opening. <laughs> I know. It feels that way. I like doing it. You guys like it. I do. Talking about. I miss your stories. Yeah. Yeah, so running out of... Can you believe almost 100, 100 shows? I, I shouldn't jinx it, but I was just thinking about it today. I'm like, man, I'm going to be at 100 shows here pretty soon. That's That's insane. Yeah, I'm going to miss our... First show of 2018. I'm going to miss our 100th. Welcome. Happy... Happy New Year's, everybody. Ditto. Happy New Year's, yeah. Eric, how are you feeling? Any uh, 
feeling feeling much better. Thank you very much. You want to fill everyone uh, in with, with why you were been missing? Ah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, well, the I missed a few weeks back because I just was flat out sick. Uh, we they have a big flu going around. I guess going around the entire country, but hit here in San Diego, and I was sick. Last week, I the day after Christmas, I ended up going in for some minor surgery on my knee, um, and uh, got the I forget what they call it, meniscal or whatever. He just went in. It was I mean, it was very minor. I was in and out of there in a couple of hours, but the pain was horrible for about I, yesterday um, or a couple of days ago was the first day I actually could drive my car. Uh, but I was like not weight bearing for a long time, taking a lot of painkillers. Holy smoke, did I take a lot of painkillers? But yeah, so I'm getting there. I, I'm walking around again. I'm weight bearing. Um, things are things are getting better. But yep, yeah, that's that's why I've been out. Um, Glad you're feeling better. How's everybody's holiday? Yeah, I'm feeling better. How's everybody's mm-hmm. holidays? It officially, as of today, the children's vacation is over. They are back in school, and I have never been so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something we need to talk about. I wanted to touch on, uh, I heard you guys, obviously I listen to the shows. I appreciate you guys uh, carrying on without me. That means a lot to me that the show just continues without me. <laughs> that takes a lot of stress. It takes a lot of stress off me. It really does. No, no, no. That's not the takeaway. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to say boy those shows are so much better when i'm on them yeah it's no really I, I thought you was gonna say the takeaway is we don't really need you <laughs> we we need you to stress um, but and john you and i haven't been on a show together in a while because i think the week before i took my absence you were absent um but i heard you guys talk about this and, and thomas and i talked about it the week you were absent uh, a friend of the show, Paul Jones, had tweeted uh, about one of our previous shows when we were talking about children, our children and uh, internet access. And uh, Thomas and I, you know, I kind of pointed out that we're in a unique situation where the three of us are all in very distinct stages of our children's lives and the impact of the internet and all that really think that's a that's a topic we should probably try to explore on a more regular basis because i'm i'm really curious especially you john on if you have any game plans on you know how you're going to handle your kids exposure to the internet because i think you're going to have it the roughest Mm -hmm. i think tom has probably had it pretty rough i fortunately for me i mean it really started to explode for my kids when they hit high school, which is probably the worst time. But, you know, they, they there was a certain level of maturity uh, that they were, had already developed. And I they, they were still kind of, you know, we still had issues. Yeah, I talked previously about, you know, the Club Penguin when they were younger. And there were still some lessons learned with internet exposure. And we still go through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not by any means mature enough adults are, are wise to the world enough to understand all the gotchas with it. So we definitely are still at a stage of education. Um, but, I'm just but your curious, kids are adults and they, have can, you guys thought they, about that? they can make their own decisions at this point. Um, I can't imagine what life would have been like for us had cell phones been around. You know, mm. <clears throat> they were just coming out when I was out of high school or near the tail end, but 
Can you imagine having iPhones and Android devices in in school nowadays? No, I so well, yeah. it's there's interesting stuff. I mean, my my youngest who who has a lot of social problems is just not involved in social internet stuff. He has elected to just play games and stuff like that and keep away from social internet. And I I think we're going to sort of see that behavior increasingly in kids where there's I, I have a lot of friends who don't use Facebook. They're, yeah, Facebook is evil, et cetera, et cetera. But they're also the same people who have the most difficulty socially. And I don't think that that's a coincidence anymore. I think that that's mm-hmm. a a causal behavior. I think if you're bad socially, then you stay away from social internet and develop a, an opinion on social internet that is different than many other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are people even in the tech industry. I, I have a guy, I have a friend of mine who's in DevOps and it just isn't on Facebook because Facebook collects everything and reads your mind. But that's not, that doesn't mean that they are antisocial or socially awkward that they have a a concern you know around privacy <clears throat> sure but I, I think there's a correlation so, i do think that the two things have a relationship I, I i do want to get back to if john and thomas i i am interested in your input as well as far as plans because john john's at the other end of the spectrum you don't, of all you of don't us. have I to mean, protect my kids, feelings just say his kids care, haven't Tom. really gotten that exposure as a matter of fact, the, the exposure that his kids have gotten has probably been very organic as far as like maybe watching movies on Netflix and things that his kids are going to take advantage of and not even think about uh, when they get older. Like, think about the fact that, oh, yeah, I could sit you know on the toilet and watch a movie when I was a kid. It's like, yeah, we couldn't do that. Oh, I think it's, so I think it's way worse than that, though. I think... I think... Okay, okay. That, I think you need to let John have some input, though. Is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm trying to ask John what, what, how he, you know, you can, how he's. You can just say that. You won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> he has like but four you, times. Yeah, you seem to be getting upset every time my, I try. To I'm get not getting John. upset. You, you're getting upset. <laughs> you are. Why are you yelling at me? Oh, this is fun. Uh, going to my game plan real quick. As of right now. My wife and I agreed no cell phones for the kids until much later. You know, I, th- I don't know what the average age is now that people have, our kids have cell phones, but we're thinking probably late high school before that's even an option. Holy smokes, really? That is not <laughs> going to hold up. Be an option? I, we, yeah, we, I, I don't, we don't I know. I mean, obviously we don't know what we don't know. It's, mm-hmm. We're new to this. Everything we, we see around uh, kids with cell phones is bad like they they start getting into things they shouldn't get into yeah but the first time your kid spends the night somewhere over somebody's house that you're not intimately you know uh accustomed to your first thought is i really wish he had a had a cell phone because that that was the turning point with beck beck was adamantly against the girls having cell phones and i was of course being an early adopter pushing it you know i'm like hey you know they have i, I forget what they were called they were called like fireflies or something where you could, they could have a cell phone that can only call certain numbers can only receive from certain numbers no texting you know nothing like that uh eventually i broke her down and keep in mind this is the girls are still in elementary school when i did this uh 
broke her down, got the girls a firefly to share between the two of them. And from that point, it was a complete turning point. Beck wouldn't let them leave the house without that phone. I mean, even if they were just going to the park to play like they always did, even before they had the cell phone, she insisted that they had their phone with them so that they could get in touch. And she became very dependent on that lifeline. Like when they'd go stay at friends' house homes that, again, maybe we didn't know the parents that well, just kind of socially through school, there was definitely a level of, they have their phone. If they need to get in touch with us, they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my son has just... diabetes, so it was the same mandatory lifeline for us that we get his blood sugar every couple hours from him if he was wandering out to the park or anything like that. So go ahead, John. Oh, I don't have anything. <laughs> now, now that we dismantled your high, I mean, a young man in high school, if that kid walks into high school without a cell phone. It's not going to be things a pleasant are, social Things are going to constantly be changing, too, as the kids get older. But as of right now, there's no plans like that we have of when they're going to have a cell phone. And, yeah. it, and when they do, it, it might be one of those types you're talking about where it's not Internet access related. You know, we want not that we want to control our kids and we don't want to hover over them, but we want to keep them safe. And there's too much crap going on with kids that get start getting into social media and then, you know, end up doing things like taking their own lives because of bullying online. Because they're they're not mature enough to understand that trolling is such a big problem online. Yeah, Kalen. And do you feel like, um, I mean, do you feel like putting him in a bubble is protecting him from that? Or do you think, are you worried you may cause more harm than good? Back to... Thomas's kind of uh, scenario, or not scenario, but what he was talking about of, you know, maybe this makes him less able to handle that sort of thing if he doesn't get that exposure when it does. No, I think it's more of the fact that we, you get, we're sick of seeing people that can't have a conversation with other people, kids especially. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll see a group of kids and they're all on their phone. They're not interacting with each other, and it's. Mm-hmm. wanting to wanting to try and avoid that wanting to try and have our kids be socially inclined not glued to their phone 24 7 and if if they have one how do you stop them from using it you know? right and and back to paul jones i mean i i'm pretty sure he completely agrees with you i mean he was just kind of talking about the evils of the internet um i do think that you know, again, just speaking from my experience, um, you know, obviously, and, and you're, you're, you're talking specifically about cell phone. There's so many other ways of having that exposure to the Internet. Uh, you know, I mean, what are you talking? Are you talking about extending that to uh, things? I mean, just inter- Internet access in general or is it as you, know, you, you just keep referencing Starbucks? Or, uh, Starbucks. <laughs> now, as a younger, it's going to be essential computer that they have access to you know and then not sure where when that changes when they start having private access to a computer do they need that probably not but just not wanting it to be uh, i think that's a key point i I think that's a key point if if i were to give a new parent any advice i know john never listens to me when i try to give him advice on children but if I were to give them any advice or any new parent out there on how to handle this, 
I definitely feel, and I stated this before, that uh, exposure um, to the internet can't be prevented, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going, you're going to. It's it's happening younger and younger. I mean, even just through school, it's just a way. It's they have to have that exposure. One of the probably best things you could do as that exposure becomes mandatory is set up the computer that they use to access to the internet in the most public place in the house Mm -hmm. that's easily exposed it's clear when they're on it it's easy for you to see what what they're doing Uh, we did that with the girls um for a while and again not not that the internet is anything uh today then as it is today but just understanding what they were doing and when they were doing it was uh, a good exposure that's probably one of the best key pieces of advice i could give a parent the thing i'm worried about personally is staying on top of the the latest tech right 10 10, 20 years that 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 was the other thing i was going to ask you about is you know even by limiting your kids exposure i i see the girls and so much of their social interaction became these group texts ongoing group texts that they had with their friends that had they not been able to do it they definitely would have had less of a social experience because so much of that. So, I mean, not so much of youth's lives have shifted to online mm-hmm. for better or for worse, like you were saying, but it, it's definitely a way, one of the ways that they keep, yes, there's the trolling, there's the bad part, but there, there's also those support systems that they build in these group, group texts, chats that they have with their friends and people that that they trust welcome back to the show buzzkill it's been interesting watching my daughter go through uh becoming a teenager with access to these kinds of communication tools because she she'll do things like remove herself from a group chat because she doesn't like the vibe that it's putting off and we've we've instilled Mm -hmm. certain things in her like sneaking out of the house is a fundamental breaking of trust between us it's not bad per se it's a violation of our relationship with her um right and and so when her when her friends are in a group chat talking about sneaking out and going to a party she feels morally wrong being involved in it and excludes herself from it on purpose and i think that's the right direction to go is that i'm not too afraid of them seeing something terrible or awful Uh, i'm afraid of them having life real life misrepresented to them um, mm-hmm. you know, classically porn is a horrific misrepresentation of a sexual relationship. That's not how people right. interact emotionally or physically. Um, and so the important thing to me is not to hover over them and make sure that they'll never, ever, ever see it because that isn't at all possible. Their friend at school is going to have a phone when he's 11 and he's going to find a porn site when he's 11 and a half and he's going to show it to everyone at school mm-hmm. and that's unavoidable you, there's nothing you can do about that what you have to do is have honest conversations with your kids about what they are going to see as they grow up and what is misrepresented to them and what the reality of it is it's that relationship with your kids is far I more think, important than the protective you know the I, th- I think that might be the smartest thing i ever heard you say Thomas. Aww. My you wife guys, is my wife is right kills. there. My, she can hear me. My 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 kid's three years old. I don't want to be thinking about them in that state yet. 
And that's my that's yeah, my point. I, I was going to say about I, it. I, I want I want to touch on that because I I was fortunate in the sense again my girls were older and it was very much that similar experience of their their behavior in these group chats were, was very much the same behavior I had I instilled in them and expected from them if they went to a party <laughs> and saw behavior going on in that party that they knew wasn't right which was to distance themselves from it. And they did that a, a few times. They'd call me up, say, yeah, I'd drop them off. And you know, 15, 20 minutes later, they're calling me up saying, dad, can you come pick us up? You know, we're not comfortable here. And I've done that. And uh, I think they have that same kind of ethics with these group chats. Uh, I think that's, you're right. But again, Thomas, I think your, your kids are at a different stage and the internet as a whole is at a different stage that exposure is happening younger and younger. Yeah. And I think, again, John is going to have the biggest challenge with that. It's You can put your kid in the bubble as much as you want, but like you said, that exposure is going to bleed over in some way. And the less honest conversations you have with your children about it, the more of a of an impact it will have on them when it does happen. Mm-hmm. And, right. I, I, get that. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on this. I, I appreciate you guys enter, entertaining me. Uh, we're already like 20 minutes into the show. I do want to kind of make this more of a regular thing on the show, maybe kind of doing t- touch bases on where we are with our youths and internet. I, I do think it's an important topic. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't want to just dominate the show about this topic. I'm glad you guys were interested and open to this conversation, especially, again, John, because I know you're... you're you, 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 of, of the three of us, you have, you would look the, like, you, you run the biggest risk of looking bad. Because in five years, people say, hey, yeah, you remember all your show? You said you weren't going to do this? What happened, you dummy? That's not what I sound like at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm willing to, to admit, I don't, I just, I don't know what I don't know. And we have, a, and we don't we know have, what technology <clears throat> is going to be out there yeah, in we have five a, years. We have a plan. We have our feelings towards it today, but things evolve and, People change. Yeah. I, the only thing on the internet so I don't I, let my kids read is the uh, president's tweets. <laughs> Far too graphic. I do have another question for I'm you, so John. Off topic. Scared of him. Changing topic. Um, I, I was having a conversation with my wife. Uh, you know, we moved into our new office. We've set things up. My wife has her work computer, but she also has a personal computer because unlike me, her work computer and personal computer can't be intermingled. So she has her personal computer. It's getting older. It's not like in the new office. It's not really set up optimal. So I was considering um, replacing her personal computer with another device. And I was curious how life has been for your wife. Because I know about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, you introduced your wife to an iPad instead of replacing her laptop. And I'm just curious, does she still use that? Is that like her primary computer? Does she still use it? How did that work out? The iPad How much is, is it the, slowed the primary. Down? <laughs> that's another sorry, topic. That, that's another topic. The iPad is her primary device now. It's okay. it's what she uses and until there's something she can't do easily on there. And then she'll break out the mm-hmm. the old uh MacBook Air. And and a lot of that is Super simple things like uh, wanting to, to type more than just a, a handful of words, you know, on a, having a physical keyboard. Uh, there might be a couple so other she things does, she does. Did, but... you not, did you not get her the keyboard with the uh, iPad? 
Or does she not use it? Doesn't use it. Because uh, it's not really just around typing. It's usually around something that doesn't work properly on the iPad. Or is less convenient on the iPad. Uh, could the be battery. You, you, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, sorry, I'm around, sorry. It's usually around photos. Like trying to do something mm-hmm. with Shutterfly or something like that. This episode mm-hmm. sponsored by Shutterfly. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, no. It, it's The iPad is what what she uses all the time. Yeah, I, I've been trying to convince my mother for a while now, and my sister, as a matter of fact, who are, who are not tech savvy, uh, you know, older than I am individuals, obviously, um, to give more consideration to either an iPad or a Chromebook instead of, but they, they, they're still in this, this train of thought of, no, I have to have a computer. I need to have Excel. I need to have Outlook. It's like, no, you don't have to have that stuff anymore. It, no. It's all online. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the, the, the iPads, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a Apple fanboy. We, we have Apple laptops and computers because we're more, we like the more of the Unix interfaces, but, um, and that might be changing in the coming years with all the stuff Windows is doing. But I, I struggled for so long to find a good Android tablet that I felt comfortable with and nothing really worked. And the iPad is one of the areas where Apple kind of did it right. You know, it's it just works. It seems to work. There's still that sense of their applications on the iPad that feel like first-class citizens that don't feel like first-class citizens on the Android tablets. Um, so I have an iPad and I have used it, uh, on occasion when I've had issues with laptops or computers where I went about a week where it was my mobile device and I did a, you know, I figured out how to do work on it. And again, I'm more of an advanced user. So, I mean, I figured out like SSH apps that I could use to SSH into servers and things like that. But, um, you know, I definitely think we're, we're at that day, we're at that age now where unless you're in the industry unless you're us and doing this stuff for a living the the requirement to have a a computer is just not really that big of a thing anymore yeah so with your with your mom and sister i'd love to know what they really feel they can't do with an ipad because most people are just browsing you know right. that's, all that's the mean. thing well and that's that's the argument i have with them i mean you know they feel like they need outlook for their mail I'm like, no, no, you, you do all your mail online now. You, you don't have you don't have to have a separate application. They feel like they need Excel because they want to manage spreadsheets. And it's just under, getting it's, it's such an education process and getting them to understand how it works. Um, you know, old dog, new tricks sort of thing. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I it's it's always been one of those things where I almost have to force the technology onto them. And say, OK, I'm not fixing your computer. Here's an iPad. Here's a Chromebook. Live life and but let them kind of figure it my out. My wife was pretty against it when I first got it, and it mm-hmm. so it started out being just a the device our son used to watch PBS shows, mm-hmm. and slowly it became I need to do a quick search. So instead of going to the bedroom to get the MacBook Air, it was do it there, and then. It mm-hmm. just organically happened where that became the device that was gone to first. I would love and... an iPad, but I I cannot. The entry price for an iPad is three hundred and thirty bucks right now, and now I'm doing a ton of reading <clears throat> at night on my 
Note Four. I've got mm-hmm. I've got ten tabs that I'm going back and forth through, and I am reading nonstop while the TV's on because of mm-hmm. the projects I'm working on because of Buscoin. And an iPad would make that so much more possible because it's just it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult on a phone to read anything. I tell you, I mean, I was I, I use mine. So I was laid up last week. I had my iPad with me on the bed next to me, and I pop it open, check Slack, check my email. It kept me in touch, but it's not even, I don't even only use it when I'm unable to access my laptop and stuff. I I will run out to the store. Like, if I have to go get a tire change or something, I'll grab my iPad. If I'm just going to maybe have lunch somewhere, I'll grab my iPad. I, I find myself reaching for my iPad more and more. Unless I know I'm going to go somewhere and do coding, I will leave my laptop at home and grab my iPad. Um, even around the house, I'm trying to you know pull myself out of the office. So, uh, that's one of my goals for 2018. Is because I will sit in this office for 16 you know hours a day, 18 hours a day, and not think twice of it. And I feel like you know I can kind of. There's no reason for me. Um, the iPad has definitely I, I've I've used it way more than I anticipated on using it, and I still today, after a year of having it, still find it very useful to have. I like I haven't outgrown it. I haven't gotten tired of it. I haven't said okay, this that was fun for a while. Um, it's it's something where I think if if my iPad were to die today, I, I have enough of a, a I, I see enough of a benefit in having it where I would replace it. Uh, I'm kind of to that point right now. All right. Um, the other thing, so I, I kept some notes on uh, the shows that I weren't here, I wasn't here for, and uh, you guys t- were talking about peak uh, PHP um, and how. Uh, oh boy, Thomas, you know you're involved with it. Yeah, presenting uh, next week. John, John, did you know that the organizer of Peak PHP is uh, from San Diego? I did not know that. No, you didn't, and, and Thomas didn't even bother to let you know that. I yeah, thought he I moved did from San Diego. He probably did. I just you don't and listen. I talked about. I it. just don't listen to him. <laughs> so yes, I, uh, and uh, I don't know if he's ever. I think he he's a member of the San Diego PHP user group, but I, I don't know if he ever actually attended a meetup or not. So how's that going? You're, you're presenting next week, Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else is going to have to edit this uh, podcast because. I've got to get my presentation back together. Don't give me that shit. You're going to edit it because it doesn't take that long to edit. I've been editing on Mondays and Tuesdays anyways. <sighs> Whatever. No, it's been going well. Um, we, we had the first meetup, and uh, next uh, Wednesday is the the next meetup, the, the second meetup, and we'll see how in- attendance improves and how topics change. and should be interesting. Well, make sure you let, the, let people know that we're talking about them on the show. I will, absolutely. We could definitely use a couple more listeners. I've got stickers in my bag just in case anyone has ever heard of PHP Ugly and they have not yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So I have I have Bitcoin news for you guys. What? What? I wow. do. That was I impressive. Bitcoin news. Did, did, I got an email uh, from System76. They are officially accepting Bitcoin to pay for... Uh, Laptops and computer parts. Ooh. So System76 is a is a um, laptop company or, or computer company that specializes in 
Linux laptops and desktops and servers. And you can now purchase your your stuff with uh, Bitcoin. Well, see, now nice. I've got to start. Now I've got to start looking. A reminder: these last day. All right. Oh, so there you go. Their their website Jan- is stupid. January third. <clears throat> January third. We heard and we listened. We now accept Bitcoin. With less than two days left, there you go. I'll link to this. Uh, I'll link to this tweet. I, I thought I was on the wrong. Uh, I thought I was on the wrong site. You go to their website now. It's unbox something sweet. So I thought I was on some sort of candy shop website, and it it's the right one. <laughs> That's not a good opening. Mm-mm. And the like networks it. be a little little highly priced. Really, you think it's highly priced? A little bit. Why is it? Their entire site is around like cookies, so I I would think I was on a cookie website, it, not a freaking it's a laptop. it's a whole holiday marketing thing. It, over it's it. stupid. They need better marketers. <laughs> I'm not buying from them ever. Oh, that might be true. <laughs> but... They need better marketers. However, that is now irrelevant as I will never buy from them. Exactly. I think the office manager is trying to get in. I'll be right back. I am not liking their site. Yeah, their their entry level laptop here is seven hundred dollars. That's that's too high for an entry level Linux laptop. Now, one of the big selling points for a Linux system used to be that you avoid the Windows tax, but I just bought an eighty dollar refurb desktop that came with Windows ten license. Refurb, refurb. These are new. <clears throat> this is new equipment. Right, but the Windows no, license was new. But new equipment that was customized. Like all the hardware is optimized for Linux, so if you're a Linux user, this is this is ideal. If you, you've always been able to throw Linux on old hardware and maybe things that weren't you know optimized for Linux, and they've handled that for you. As somebody who wanted a Linux desktop, who struggled through many Linux desktop that I built myself, this you know I I flirted with the idea of, of grabbing a laptop from them for a while. Yeah, but a ThinkPad starts at what four fifty. I, I I'm not a fan. Well, I guess they won't be sponsoring the show anytime soon. <laughs> <Good> job, <guys>. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're ninety episodes right, well, in. Since... We're not getting a sponsor besides you guys. <laughs> since I'm kind of dominating the show today, kind of leading leading the way, taking you guys by the hand, walking you through this wonderful world of the internet that that we call life. Are you guys? We we talk a lot. As a matter of fact, I heard John's comment last week about me switching IDEs, which I do a lot of. I, I don't switch so much as explore other IDEs, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but one of the topics we talked about in the past was online IDEs. And um, there's a couple of players out there. Uh, but Cloud9 was purchased a while back from by AWS, Amazon's web services division. And now Amazon Web Services has, so Cloud9 still has its own site where you can go and create, get get an IDE and do all that. But now within the AWS console uh, now has a Cloud9 uh, interface to it where you can spin up a online IDE to do your editing. It actually spins up uh, a a EC2 instance that you work from. if you're using things like uh, lambdas, there's some 
there's some integration between the the IDE and the lambdas itself. I, I haven't gone down that road yet, but I, I just pulled it up and just to see if it was any different than the the uh, stuff that they they already had, um, which it is. It's, it's, it's the exact same platform, but. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, online IDEs, is that a viable solution? I mean, we, we were just talking about how, you know, there's becoming less and less of a need for full desktops. Um, does a online ID, do you think, make sense? Would, would you believe I've Maybe been not using for you. an online IDE all week? I would not believe that. Really? Which one have you been using? Uh, Solidity doesn't have a good desktop IDE. Solidity being the contract language used for ethereum mm -hmm. so i have been doing all of my work in a solidity online ide interesting now how do you i don't know enough about the language but are you dealing you're not dealing with lots of files like you would be in a php project. oh yeah oh yeah not as many as you would see in a php project but when you start to get into how things have to be written because of some inherent design choices in Solidity and just, just the nature of a, of a blockchain object, you start needing to split things up into files pretty quickly. And is there auto-completion? Uh, yeah, auto, yeah auto-completion, well, I, I, I don't testing. know about the one... I don't know, yeah, I don't know the, the one John's, uh, Thomas is talking about, but the Cloud9 has the whole IntelliSense uh, integration. Uh, it even has Vim mode, obviously. <laughs> of course, it has to. So, but what's the, what's the performance like on that then? It's surprisingly good. Really? So that's... Yeah. So I, I spun one up on the company's our company's uh, AWS account. Um, it, it was a little weird, but once I got it spun up and I, I hooked into... Um, so we're working on the Wave PHP call for papers, and we have our little repo that we're doing. And I pulled in that repo, and I mean, it's I can't complain to be honest with you. It's it's a different feel a little bit, and it still feels weird that it's in the browser. But performance, I don't know. It seems okay. It seems acceptable. Yeah, You're Remix, gonna... which is. <laughs> Remix, which you is have what to I be, use, has no problems. You have to be missing things such as like xdebug integration, right? Well, no, uh, not necessarily. Not with I, I don't now. I don't know if they're all created equally, but I, I know with Cloud Nine, you can set up the whole development environment integration debug uh, workflow. I yeah. haven't dove that much into it, but I was I was reading reading on that. Um, I mean, maybe it'd be worth me going through that just to see how well it performs. I didn't, like, I didn't even configure the, the EC2 instance it spun up. Um, I didn't even configure that for PHP. Uh, it's just, it was just like hosting my code in, in the IDE itself. So uh, I wasn't actually using the server to run the code. I was just using it as the IDE. Um, so I could, I should probably try to spend some time and see how difficult that is and exactly what that looks like. But huh. yeah, it's, you've got me, you've got me intrigued I, to, to look at it. Yeah. Check it out. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. And again, you know, you, you know, you, you, you can always find yourselves in these little pinches where, you know, maybe all you have is an iPad or you, all you have is a Chromebook 
And I think having an online ID makes a whole lot of sense. We had um we had a member of SDPHP do a presentation on it. And she was um as she was preparing the presentation, she reached out to me. She goes, you know, uh, I really like to sh- show off um, pair programming uh, and, and having uh, multiple collaborators. And we were just talking about this with uh, Visual Studio Code and Adam, how they've integrated this uh, collaboration uh, mode into their IDEs. Well, a lot of these online IDEs have it baked in already. And I think the more we start to move down that path... Um, you know, it starts to make a lot more sense to have it. I find it hard to say I would ever make it my primary development environment, but having it as a strong secondary, it's starting to make a lot of sense to me. Um, so but, with, uh, the, with the performance of WebAssembly, I don't see a whole lot of use for desktop applications in the future anyways. Um. And my relationship with PHP Storm is is one that could easily be taken over if all the functionality was the same and it was just in a browser window. I'd have no problem doing that, as long yeah, as I think that might be where we're headed. So, yeah, as long how, as the how, how is there. What was that, John? How are you? How do you actually run the the site if you're coding there? How's how do you actually access it? Access uh, access what? You're, you're working on the call for papers. Uh, mm-hmm repo now how are you hitting that the changes you're making or do you have to then right that's, that, that's what i said i i, I so I, I just spun up my uh my aws cloud nine instance just to see what the ide look looks like i didn't i didn't do the whole configure the server get the site running on the server so currently oh, okay. it would just be like it would just be like i, I would have to com- you know commit the code to github or push it to a server so I, I haven't, I, I didn't go through all those steps yet. I'm, uh, you can do that. I, I'm sure you can do that. I just didn't bother doing it because I wasn't really using it for that. I just wanted to see what the IDE felt like. That's interesting. So you, you have access to all the the IDE on the EC2 instance. And you actually have access to the EC2 instance as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, um, I should continue to explore it. And, and it hibernates the the instance so you're not paying the instance isn't continuously running if if you don't use your ide for like 30 minutes meaning i i believe it means there can't be a browser window open with the ide anywhere but if if there's no interaction with the ide for like 30 minutes or something my understanding was that it shut shut down that instance um i didn't i didn't go back and confirm that but that when i was reading through it uh that's that was my understanding check out the link in in the show notes and uh give you know give it a try it, it's worth looking at been looking at these uh online ids for a while and they're definitely coming along um but back to your point thomas yeah you know i i always i i'm kind of to the point now where and, and i've had to do it in the past that if i really needed to i could do everything i do online but it still at this stage feels like a compromise to me. Um, it was like, oh yeah, I could I could record this podcast online without having any standalone a- application, which we did but, for like fifty episodes. Yeah, but again, we didn't edit it that way. You know, we still at least I, I you know I would still pull it into a, a desktop application to edit. 
I, I'm sure there's probably applications out there that allow you to edit online, but again, everything kind of feels like a little bit of a compromise. Um, kind of, if you're in a pinch, you have to do it this way you can, but wouldn't be my preferred way. But well, I don't kind know. Of. I mean, that could the, be the old school thinking of me. I did look into uh, an online recording podcast and editing thing, and it, it had one feature that, that killed it for us that we couldn't use it for, which was that we couldn't do shared video at the same time as the audio. They didn't have a, a way of preventing mm. feedback on that, and so we couldn't use it. But they did have an online editor, and it looked like because it was designed for podcasts that it was a better editor for podcasts than Audacity is. However, we never got to really test it because of that one failure, and I contacted the company, and they never contacted me back, and it just didn't pan out. But I could very easily see their editor being superior to Audacity because Audacity is built for mixing music, and there isn't a really good podcast editor out there. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of kind of keeping along with that same topic, uh, Another thing that I've touched on a lot in the past is my fascination with serverless infrastructure. And that's this whole idea of not having to manage servers, just kind of having it be a cloud. Heroku was kind of like that for me when I first started using it. It was it was kind of, even though you were paying for, for nodes, or I forget what they called it, but you're ba- pay, basically paying for servers in the Heroku environment. It was sort of headless in the sense that you had no interaction with the server. Everything you did with the server was through either your application or through configurations uh, through the web interface. And that kind of world has kind of continued to mature and grow. And um, we talked about the IDs integration with AWS's Lambda service. And that's the AWS is basically serverless infrastructure where you could deploy applications um, without managing servers. Very cool concept, but it's it's always been a struggle to understand how to exactly do it, to get it configured, to get a nice workflow built around it. I came across one called Up, which made it drop-dead simple. I mean, it actually abstracts it away so far that you don't even realize that you're, you're even using a, a serverless architecture anymore. Um, up, you know... The link will be in the in the keynote or in the keynote. The link will be in the show notes. But it's these uh, it's this platform that lets you build um, static websites, Python, Node. Uh, I think P- it was something. PHP. Else. Oh, I think Go Go no PHP, unfortunately. <sighs> but uh, allows you to build these applications. I was I was uh, I I built a static website and. Uh, just deployed it with a couple of commands, a couple of up commands, and it packaged it up, threw it on the Lambda service, uh, kicked out a URL to me, and yeah. But can we stop? Can to... we stop naming stuff, stuff like up and go though? Seriously, <laughs> I go. The name for Go is so bad that they've had to change it to Golang. So they've started telling everyone when you're talking about Go, always call it Golang because we made a mistake. <laughs> yes i see that <clears throat> yes yeah uh there's another one like that too I, I forget there was another one i came across that was like that i was like oh they they put that laying on on the end of theirs as well uh rust but uh, er. <laughs> <laughs> but uh up that this whole serverless architecture is 
fascinating to me. And as somebody who struggles running a company without dedicated operation people, I can really, really embrace not having to manage servers. Um, and again, as somebody who, who really is interested in API-driven architecture, serverless environments are very appealing to me. Um, I, I just wish that I could get Lumen or something running on one of these. Uh, there, and there is. So the whole, I said so, and I didn't need to. I was doing so good. So good. Um, the whole uh, running other languages that aren't natively supported has been addressed with Lambda. So Lambda has a platform that you can you can run PHP code on the Lambda servers. But I haven't found a framework yet like up that allows you that that builds the entire workflow and makes it very seamless. Um, there's still like the yeah if you've ever worked in the AWS environment there's like you know there's a lot of issues with uh, permissions and security and lambdas is you know just really takes that to the next level as far as making it you know difficult to understand. Uh, is the up kind of hides a lot of it but Depending on how how granular you want to get, there is some, you know, identity access management credential stuff that you have to have to worry about. But for the most part, if you just have your AWS credentials, uh, like that's when I did my when I deployed my app, that's all I had was I just put in my AWS credentials and it uh, it deployed just fine. So service architecture is something that uh, that's been interesting. You uh, check out the show notes for this up. Uh, I don't know if it's a. What would you consider as a framework? Let me see. He says up the infinite scalable server. Yeah. I mean, it's not a SaaS, really. It's. <clears throat> I don't know what you would call it. A workflow. I, I'm. I guess I would call it a workflow. Up is a platform agnostic supporting AWS Lambda and API gateway so as how, the first target. So how does that compare to something like OpenShift? I mean, I haven't used it in years. There was a. Back probably around 2011, somebody did a presentation at Orlando PHP from Red Hat for OpenShift, and I thought it was awesome. I moved my personal blog over to that and was running WordPress with for johncongren.com on OpenShift. Again, not having to worry about any sort of servers. So it sounds similar in that way. Yeah, like I said, in OpenShift, I always thought <laughs> lined up pretty well with Heroku as well. I think mm-hmm. those two are kind of the kind of the same um, same principle. The only thing I would say that might be a little different with the Lambda is with with OpenShift and with Heroku. Even though you didn't have direct access to the server itself, you had access to a web interface to do a lot of configuration on the server. And I don't think I don't think with Lambda you really have that. I think it's truly all the interaction you have with the server is through your deployments. And the, the, the kind of the, the principle behind it is everything is you can have in GitHub. Like you can version everything as a package in GitHub and deploy it. Hmm. And there was, there's no need to log in and make tweaks. Gotcha. Okay. Is OpenShift still a thing? I was wondering that. So I was in trying to remember the name, I just Googled it and mm-hmm. They're still come up in Google, and the website's oh, yeah, still active, so yeah. I guess so. Well, so is the Branch Davidian. 
good. Love your non sequiturs. Right. So, Thank you. That's what I do best. I, see, this, I barely said anything happens, this whole episode. This is what happens when I end up laid up in bed for for a week. I just uh, you know I just start piling up uh, stuff that interests me. I like the part where you said I've been talking enough and then continued for a half an hour. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I guess that's well. Your, does your, anybody have anything else to say? That's I your got, clue. <laughs> your cue, Thomas, to pick it up. I got tons. <laughs> I just, I, I, it's hard. It's hard to pick amongst this array of things that I have listed on Trello now. Well, pick you one guys, and then we can be done. Do you guys use VPNs? No, you yes. know what? I'm not even. I'm not even going to go the doom and gloom route yet. <laughs> oh my goodness! You're killing me. <sighs> I'm going to treat you like is my it... son. We're, we're almost at an hour, so it's almost time to go, so choose one more thing to do. Brush your teeth. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing, that, the thing that I've had stuck in my mind is something that, that Edward Snowden was working on this last month and has released. Have you guys heard of Haven? I have not. I was reading the article. It It's really fascinating. So... Essentially, in all his time removing parts from phones so that he could stay secure in Russia and hide from various authorities that are after him, he realized that phones are an incredibly cheap array of sensors that are connected to the internet via Wi-Fi. So some some $20 burner phone has tilt detection, a camera, a light detector... Uh, Wi-Fi access to any other thing that it needs to access to, and that you could build a personal security device out of a $20 phone, which he did. Do explain what does, <laughs> what, what, what does it do? Essentially, you, you download Haven on two phones, your personal phone and a burner phone that you don't pay, for, you don't have connected to anything. It's just on your home Wi-Fi. Uh, Set it up in a room and have a a rule set that says, if there's motion in the room, send me the video. Mm -hmm. If if there is vibration on the motion detector, send me a video or a text. Notify me via email. Record it to... Can't you do that with a webcam, though? Why do you need a cell phone for that? Because this is a complete standalone portable object that, as long as it has Wi-Fi, can instantly update a person holding another phone. He can walk into a brand new room that he's never been in before, put this phone down on a shelf, and it is now a secured room. Whenever someone enters the room, he gets a video showing them entering the room. Whenever someone leaves the room, he gets a video. You know, if you go to a hotel and you're worried about somebody stealing your money, this $20 phone sitting on a counter will notify you if your room is entered without your permission or your knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. And it does so instantly with video and audio, and you can put the phone under something. So if you put your laptop on top of your phone, as soon as somebody touches your laptop, the vibrations set off the phone, and it sends you a message that says somebody is on your laptop. It, mm-hmm. It's incredibly easy to set up, and it's a it's so, a very I mean, does cool it even need use. to be a burner phone? I mean, can it just be? Does the phone have to have cell access, or can it just be like an old? Just, old abandoned phone that you don't yeah, use. Yeah, just anymore. Wi-Fi. As long as you've got it hooked up to Wi-Fi, it will notify you as soon as anything happens. Hmm. 
I got some old phones I, I might might be willing to sacrifice for that. Me too. That. And I I thought this was really interesting for people with kids. Because mm-hmm. I've I've thought about setting up monitoring stuff for the liquor cabinet or monitoring stuff for my bedroom when we go out of the house for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And so so you're you're being called out a little bit here on on the uh, the chat. Oh, I don't really? Know if you're in the chat or not? Yeah, I'm not. But uh, a friend of the show, Herman Ostendorf, is uh, is listening. He finds it funny that this this is the app you're talking about coming from someone who is paranoid about being spied on. I mean, we've talked in the past about you know the Alexas and Google Home devices that we have laying around and. And now you're promoting it. You're like, hey, you know, this, that's horrible. This, that's terrible. Hey, let's do it ourselves. Yeah, they're not adults yet. I don't care. <laughs> He's got a good point. It, it is open source. So you can be assured that the software is at least being audited by security professionals. And kids are uh, uh, sneaky little liars. <laughs> So that's your justification. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a much I don't have a much better explanation for it than that. I I, I do like your use case of like the hotel room or the office or you know if you if you have a cubicle or something. Um, I mean, I think those are valid use cases of having a device that you can easily set up that just like you said gives you a notification. Hey, somebody entered your office. Somebody entered your hotel room. Um, yeah, it's. Well, and I've I, been I mean, to I, I, I've been to meetups at shared at, at co-working spaces mm-hmm. where you look around and you sort of go, people just sort of leave stuff everywhere and mm-hmm. trust that the meetup that's happening here isn't just going to have somebody getting on their computer and fucking around. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, you know, I, I've like I said, I've set up something similar when I had an office. Uh, that I shared with John, I was curious what he was doing at my desk, and I set up the webcam. No, <laughs> no but I have I set up my webcam there. yet before to to you know be motion triggered, um, where it would trigger if somebody you know came in the line of sight, and and I thought it was useful to 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 an extent, uh, but you know it, it it was going to a hotel room and setting it up is a whole different thing, right? Because then it's like, okay, now I got to set it up. Now I have to leave my laptop here at the hotel room turned on. Whereas leaving a spare phone is a lot easier. A a spare phone that's that's not worth anything at all. A spare phone that's replaceable for $20. I mean, these devices are insanely cheap for the capabilities that they have. And it's surprising to me that they haven't been used in this way yet. Because they are mobile sensor banks. And if you're not yeah, using cell data, they shot. can last for 12, 24 hours. So there there are other apps like that for monitoring kids. When I was doing research on, on monitors, it was, do I go with a you know standalone monitor? Do I use a cell phone, like something like this? Or do I go with a, a camera? I ended up with, start out with, a standalone monitor, and then added a camera separately when the monitor starts acting up. But I do know that the whole cell phone thing has has applications like that in hmm. for uh, kids that are in cribs and you know 
watching that. Yeah, and the space has been explored before, but I I don't think it's been explored well. Um, not like this. With, this not, with I, you're bringing up a lot of great points. I love that idea of dropping a cell phone in your hotel room. It makes right. perfect I mean, sense. Let's say you're at Disney World. Your hotel room is going to be what two hundred dollars a night. So to secure your your stuff is a twenty dollar throwaway cell phone. That's nothing. That's a that's there are so, there are hotel right, insurance Thomas, plans that are more. Thomas, I'm out of scotch. I finished my scotch. All right, well, uh, I can't do my so challenge anymore. So that means so it probably means so we should probably think about wrapping up wrapping this up. But before we do. One more question, since I didn't read the article. Does does my phone that it's sending the information to record that, or is it just a real-time video? I don't believe it's actually real-time video. I think you are sent a link that accesses the remote device where it is storing the data locally. Well, that's a problem, because if that person yeah, finds that device, they take it and they, they now have it. I, I know, like, my in-laws refuse to leave anything in a hotel room. They won't take their laptop to a hotel room because they're afraid of it being stolen, where I'm quite the opposite. I'm like, screw it. If it gets stolen, it gets stolen. What am I going to do? I can't, I'm not going to live in fear. The, the chances are somewhat low. Well, living in fear is the American way. It's your way. Mr. Doom and Gloom. That's how I introduce, that's how I introduce Doom and Gloom. Do you guys know what Doom and Gloom is today? I, we, Wait, we were already what? wrapping up. We were there, we just talked about doom and gloom. No. What? Okay. What happened to choose one more thing to do? You're worse than my kid. I've, I'm choosing the one more thing. You kept talking about Haven. No, your one more thing was Haven. No. <sighs> my one more thing is Meltdown and Spectre. What? I don't even see that one. Which one is that? It's not on there. It's a surprise. Doom and gloom. Oh. Okay. Meltdown Inspector. Oh, somebody posted this in Slack this week. It has been revealed that Intel CPUs and some ARM architecture have catastrophic password leaking vulnerabilities in them. Uh, two attacks were developed and released this week. Meltdown, which breaks isolation between applications and the operating system, allows applications to access kernel level operations and gain read access to memory of another process as you can imagine pretty bad uh specter is a more complicated exploit but it's also more difficult to fix which accesses random areas of isolated operable space in cpus and when it finds one starts to read it and access it and exploit it. Uh, Spectre doesn't have a great exploit case right now, but Meltdown does have some in-action demos where you can uh, spy on a process and read the memory fresh out of it, something that has been demonstrated to be functional in a basic program but would be equally functional on a program like Apache, which is storing crypto keys for SSL and stuff like that. Why does this affect us as web developers, though, you might be asking, Eric? Well, I love I love their QA. The QA is, am I affected? Most certainly, yes. 
Can I can I detect if somebody has exploited me? Probably Absolutely not. not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the fix for this has a significant impact on Linux and Windows systems and is not yet addressed in Apple systems. So the fix for this in Windows is expected to produce between a 3 and 30% slowdown in your CPU performance. Wow, that's significant. Even worse, the slowdown for gamers, if you're playing a video game, negligible. Really not a whole lot happening. If you're running a web server with a lot of I.O. activity, the most significant. Mm -hmm. So even in cases where you're running on a VM, expect things to change, prices to go up, because your VM is going to get slowed down by these patches. Uh, People are losing their shit. Uh, Linus Torvald, the creator of the Linux kernel, being one of them. And Intel is trying to pass the buck, saying that this isn't their fault. Everything's working as planned. It's just the operating system that was programmed poorly. Either way, the patches for Linux and Windows are out as of the release of this podcast. I'm running the Linux patch, and I haven't noticed a whole lot. But I'm also not running heavily I.O.-based activity. So again, Herm, Herman's chiming up in the chat, saying that it's it is actually semi fixed in the latest Mac OS as well. But I, I asked uh, asking him for more information on that. He hasn't elaborated anymore. I believe that it is semi fixed in the Mac OS <clears throat> as far as the meltdown attack, but the Spectre attack, which is the one that neat that really hits the CPU, has not mm-hmm. been addressed yet. Um, and this does apply to other stuff as well it's not just Linux Uh, the BSD community is currently scrambling to get on top of it and Mm -hmm. Windows will be optimizing their patch for it for the next several years but fundamentally all Intel CPUs currently on the market are vulnerable to these attacks and should be patched yeah so Apple is saying they'll they'll look at Spectre in the next few days and they fixed the uh, the other one. Meltdown. 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 With no uh, measurable impact on performance. Yeah, meltdown it's shouldn't okay, affect though. performance. We, 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 don't have, we don't have net neutrality anymore, so the cable companies will take care of us and protect us because they have that freedom now. As is their duty. My favorite part about the Meltdown Attack is their website, meltdownattack.com. Cute icons, nice little layout, simple FAQ, one-page design, and at the bottom, can I use the logos? Sure. They're all Creative Commons. You can take the logos and put them on your website and say, look at these attacks. We have a great artist, Natasha Eibel. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just adorable. But also, you know, threatening to the industry as we know it. All right, time time for some shameless self promotion. Since you're done with your doom and gloom, hint hint, wink wink, nudge nudge. <laughs> That's not how hints work. It it is January. <laughs> we are in 2018, and John and I have been discussing the best time to release the Wave PHP call for papers. I hinted earlier that we we've been working on the site for call, for the call for papers, and although we've there's been some discussion back and forth that 
maybe it's a little early. I mean, most most conferences release their call for papers about four or five months before the conference, and we're still nine months out. I think uh, you know we feel like we're justified in maybe releasing a little earlier because we are a first time conference. We're trying to attract people to the West Coast. Um, so, anyways, long story short, I think John and I are targeting releasing the call for papers for wave php to happen sometime this month it probably won't be it might be as late as the last week in january it's probably what we'll push it to but uh the wave php conference call for papers if you're interested in submitting a talk start to put together your presentations and your talk ideas uh we're currently we're, we're using um open cfp which is chris uh grumpy Heart. programmers what's his last name Hartjes. Hartjes. Yep. chris Hartjes is uh uh, open source Friend of the uh, show. project yeah and uh it's you know getting my head around uh he, he uses tailwind css and a couple of other uh it, it i think it's built off yeah he has like a mixture of symphony some laravel stuff in there he uses um mixture and a few things so we're making some tweaks to it um nothing to really contribute back to the community as of yet but i'm hoping to contribute some stuff back to the package but that will probably hit the interwebs here next couple weeks so feel free to you know queue up and and submit some talks and i don't know i mean john do we want to talk about what the presenter packages will include or we still not finalized on that not finalized but i think it's gonna be similar to other conferences if you're accepted, your, your conference will be covered. Some sort of hotel package will be covered, and mm-hmm. some sort of flight package will be covered. Some, some sure, at least at least an allowance for a flight package. And again, if if your company is willing to sponsor you, that that would be a big help for us. Uh, the the less obviously we have to come out of pocket for the the better. But in general, if you if you do want to present, don't and. You know, you you don't have the resources to get you here. We are the sponsor package should should be able to cover that with uh, f- travel and uh, hotel stay. Now, are Obviously, you talking? Are you talking sponsored presentations? No. Well, no. that's actually we 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 didn't release the um, we didn't like officially release the sponsor packages yet, but that is an option on a sponsor package. A sponsor can. Buy a level that allows them to do a um, a sponsored uh, presentation, uh, but no, that's not what we're talking about here. This is just, uh, I mean, maybe if if a company says, "Hey, you, know, you accepted our employees' talk, uh, we're willing to send them out, but we want him to be able to use our name." Obviously, we'd be open for that um, if they're covering covering the cost of that employee. So yeah, we're we're definitely open to that that conversation. So if there was like an innovative new platform for monetizing creative content producers on the internet, it probably wouldn't be accepted. Okay, <clears throat> not, not not we're not interested. Not relevant to the scope. I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking for a friend. It's like, where's the PHP twist in this here? <laughs> And, and how is a company actually sponsoring you? Is uh, I guess would be the next question. So. Well, you'd you'd be welcome into the first round ICO. Oh well, is that is that I got yeah. you that everybody who attends can can buy into it. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 like an investor conference thing. Yeah, and and then you refer to people 
and then they refer to people, and then they refer to people. And We're looking you know for it, people rich. to refer four people at a time, but if you can, if you if you can only do two people, like myself, I, I only have two friends, and um, they're both on the podcast right now. So <laughs> we we understand your situation. We somehow I, I, I recall for a friend an hour hour ago in this podcast, you said I have a friend. Thought that 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 was not one of us. So you know those friends who you would call a friend, but they wouldn't call you a friend. Like acquaintances. Yeah, I, his name is John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we done? This has gone so long. We're done. Thank I you, Herman, for uh, for contributing to this podcast. We do appreciate the contribute. If you listen to the podcast uh, after the fact, fan- that's fantastic. But if you want to be a part of it. We have no uh, hesitation mentioning you on the show. Yeah, Herman has learned. <laughs> make your exactly. make your live chat name as vulgar as possible, and we'll try to pronounce. Yeah, you it. might want to use an alias. <laughs> All right, this has been episode ninety, guys. Ninety, we're getting we're getting closer to triple digits. Episode ninety of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congdon. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep, Keep it, it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.